Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, hello, everyone. I'm talking to Zach Galifianakis today, which I'm very excited about because um, he is a gentle woodland creature that only comes out when he's feeling completely secure. That's correct, right? Yes, that is correct. Um, I only, hey, it looks like I have a bloody nose. Do you see that? It does kind of. No, okay, sorry. Is it from cocaine? I've never done cocaine in my life. I have to tell you that. Really? <laughs> Why haven't you done cocaine? Haven't you been around it? It's been offered to you and you've just turned it down? I don't hang out with those. I don't hang out with those types. And I, I don't trust them. Yes, you do. I <laughs> I have seen you with, with those types. I don't have, I don't go to parties. I don't do any of that stuff. But you used to when you were young. No, but I remember I remember once I met some cocaine heads in a in a bar in Canada and I was with this other actor. And they, these guys were so coked up that we wanted to mess with them. So do you know breakaway bottles? You know those breakaway bottles in show business where you hit somebody? Yeah. Well, I always have them sitting around. And uh, somehow these coke, coke heads ended up in my apartment just so I could mess with them. And me and my friend got into a fake fight. And he ended up smashing one of those bottles across my face. And... Six people left my apartment within two seconds. It was so funny. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a naturalist. I don't do that stuff. I'm clean, clean living. That's good. You don't even drink anymore, do you? No. That, that, I haven't had a drink in, gosh. Um, so I haven't, not since the Obama administration. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. And you're happier about it? You know, I was a good drinker. I, I didn't have a really bad side, I don't think. And I really was. But there's more to life. I became a morning person when I stopped drinking. And uh, the morning, I like mornings better than evenings now. I kind of do, too. I kind of always have. Um, but COVID has changed me. I I spent most of my adult life not being able to sleep past like 7:30 8 o'clock mm. but now I can sleep really late you can how late do you sleep till oh well now probably the latest that I've gone is probably 9:30 you know something like that 10 o'clock which isn't crazy I mean like wow <laughs> the look of shock on his face no I mean I have like I have a 15 year old daughter who can sleep till you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Well, they're supposed they're supposed to sleep at that age, I think. Right. 
Right. Their brain is growing. That's, you know, your brain grows when you sleep. That's why my head is so big. Because I slept too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I get up at, my body tells me every morning at five, it's time to get up. Wow. Every morning, no matter if I go to bed at midnight, which I never do, but five in the morning, I'm up. Because, you know, I'm a triathlete. I tried being an athlete. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. That's what it is. That's the joke. Ed. Well, now you, uh, I, I don't want to give out the detail, but you are living in the woods these days, correct? Yeah, I've lived in the woods for on and off for seven years now. Well, you're originally from North Carolina, right? That's what they say. Yes, that's right. Yes. And are you, but are both your folks Greek? No, my mom is very southern, and my dad, my dad uh, is uh, uh, his family's from the island of Crete. So it's a weird mix. It's this Greek blood mixed with this kind of Appalachian blood, and it's a weird, it's a weird uh, mix of cultures. It's two flavors of hillbilly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I am very proud of both hillbilly sides. Very proud to be from where I'm from. <laughs> well, is your dad was your dad born in Greece? No, uh, my dad was born in the United States, but then they moved back to Greece uh, when he was a child, and he lived several years in Greece. His first language was Greek. His brother or brothers were born in Greece, some of them. Um, and my dad had not been back to Greece until the year 2000, and. I was working in London at the time and he and my mom met me in London and I put up a video camera secretly to ask my father about Greece because he hadn't been since he was a child. And when within the hour of the interview, my dad cried about Greece 17 times because <laughs> he just he loved it so much. Yeah. He loved g- going to Greece. And, you know, it's weird when I go to Greece, I was just there last October and, you know, I'm very American, but when I'm in Greece, there's a large part of me that just feels at home. It's yeah. weird, even though I don't have that huge of, um, and uh, you know, but I just love that country so much. I really do. Have you ever been? I have. I have a friend, a friend of mine from college um, had dual citizenship because his parents owned like one of the nicest Greek restaurants in Chicago. And did the classic Greek thing of came over here young, worked like dogs, and then went back to mm. Greece to like, you know, in their 50s, I think, to just kind of mm. then enjoy the Greek life for the rest of their time. Because like when I, during college, uh, you know, like a couple of times I went to their apartment and their apartment was in the same building as the restaurant. The restaurant was in the the ground floor of the building it was on michigan avenue it's a beautiful apartment Hmm. but in their apartment there was like there was like a couch and a tv and beds and if you open the fridge there was maybe like orange juice because their whole life was in the restaurant you know and yeah and my friend costa when he um to keep his dual citizenship he had to serve in the army in greece so he went back for his to serve in, which he said was like summer camp. And that like, like most of the, most of the guys had earrings and stuff, you know, like it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't real mm-hmm. tough army life. Um, but he's from, and I think he still lives in Kalamata 
And, but his family mm-hmm. is from um, the Mani, which is, you know, uh, in the Peloponnese. Those, mm-hmm. There's like three peninsulas okay. at the at the bottom of, of the mainland Greece. And the middle one is called the Mani. And it's kind of, speaking of hillbillies, like famously a hillbilly place where they have these houses called Maniat houses, which were just clans would build these stone towers that some of them were turned into Nazi machine gun nests during the war, but they had really low doors so that people would have to come in with their head ducks. So if you wanted to, you could stand by the door and chop off their head when they came in through the door, you know, like it was like designed that way. And the men stayed in the tower because the men were the protected ones in the, in the clan raids. So the women had, were the only ones who could leave and go out and like do all the work basically while the men stayed home, which seems to be a Greek pattern, if I may say. Well, I think that's a pattern for a lot of cultures, too, where a lot of women do a lot of work. In the South, where I'm from, you see women cutting the grass more than men. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But the the civilian resistance, from what I've heard, in at least in Crete, where my family's from, is I've heard that during a World War II, women would go out in big dresses with pitchforks waiting for the German paratroopers to come down. And under their dresses were two more women with knives. <laughs> I've always heard that. And then they would come out of the dresses and attack these right, German right. soldiers. Uh that history is is uh, is very interesting to me. That all that stuff, but yeah, I love I love Greece. I uh, I miss. I'm, I'm, I mean, I would live there. I would love to live there. I really would. It's yeah, it's a beautiful place. Well, the Greeks have you, you the hillbillies, as you call them. The the Greece, what they have figured out is they have figured out oh what is important in life Yeah, where we as a young country are still trying to figure that out. Right. Um, so in Greece, it's, it's, or in Europe in general, it's my friend was telling me this and I agree with him in Greece and Europe. It's all about going the walk to go get a coffee. Yeah. And in the States we save up money to get that big jet ski, you know, it's, yeah. it's their different philosophies and mentalities. It's uh, yeah. Older cultures tend to be less materialistic because you know, they've been through it. And now it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, David Sedaris has a line about the Greeks where he says, you know, they uh, founded civilization and democracy and then called it a day. That's what I've always said. We, we, we started the Olympics, uh, democracy, philo- a lot of modern philosophy. And then one day we, they were, we were like, oh, fuck it. Let's open some diners. <laughs> yeah. Let's have coffee. Yeah. Yaya will bring in the sticks, that bundle of sticks. Your people are what, German? Yeah, German. Well, but I'm a little bit of everything. I'm just, you know, like I, you know, if I was to do one of those ads for one of those genealogy things, I would just be able to say, I'm European while I'm dressed in like, you know, later hosen and a French beret. And, you know, <laughs> while walking an English bulldog and having some Swedish sausage. I'm just white. I'm just like a mix of different kinds of northern European white. Um, so it's why I'm awesome. It's one of the reasons I'm awesome. Hmm. 
Mm. Mm. I've always wondered what made you awesome. Yeah, well, you should have asked. You know my number. You could have called at any time. And I love to talk about it. <laughs> um, All right, I'll call you after this podcast. Okay, good. Yeah, because we could. It's. I would like to actually have a real talk with you sometime. Me too. Um, <laughs> do, now, what do you think about like? Do you think? Do you think that your Greekness gave any? Like, what? It, what about your personality? Is your Greekness, and what about your personality? Is your Southernness? Do you think that those that that's any you think that's a valid question at all or is it just horseshit? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll answer it. Um, <laughs> it'll, if it fills up time. Sure. Uh, well, I feel I feel I was born and raised in the South and I feel very of a kinship to to the South because uh, it's more it's close. It's what I but as far as the Greek, yeah. uh, the Greekness, it was um you know, I was baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church. I was, but where I'm from, there were no other Greeks. There were no other. We were the only ethnic family, <laughs> uh, really. Uh, really. Well, there was there was a there was a couple of Italian, but you know, there were no Greeks. I think the I think my dad had to tell the local ma- mailman Gus Gahulis that he was Greek, and Gus was. I think he said, "Oh yeah, I always wondered what I was." <laughs> um, but you're Greek. I got news for you, buddy. You're Greek. It's always interesting to me when European, like direct immigrants, end up in the South because a lot of people, you know, they end up in other bigger cities. Or uh, so I think my grandfather was one of the first Greeks in North Carolina. So there's mm-hmm. a proud history. Uh, there's a proud history there of the immigrant family and all that. And then on my my mom's side, there's a real ingrained culture there, too. Listen, the cultures of the Appalachian region have been ripped apart by these box stores. And, you know, there used to be a real culture uh, around, but it, it's become um, <clears throat> overtaken somewhat. It's it, And it bums me out because I love rural. I, I do. I love the South. I love where I'm from. I mean, politically, we probably, you know, don't see eye to eye but yeah um yeah it's it's a it's i just as i get older and think about you know you, you have children and you think about your lineage and it is it is a I, it's a weird mix um of this app this southern and and then this greek thing but i feel both i feel like i lived the southern life and then i explored my greek life i i taught myself greek at a young age i forgot most of it but um i went to greece when i was 14 kind of by myself because I was very interested in that part of mm-hmm. my family because I I didn't know it much because the you know we were living in the mountains of North, or the foothills of North Carolina so uh I was very intrigued as a kid to go to Greece so I saved up my money by mowing grass and I and I went and met my cousins over there and yeah so it's I feel both I do yeah now didn't you say that some of your parents some of your dad's siblings are moving back to Greece now yeah, part of my family. I've been talking to them. It seems like there, there's a uh, a migration back, uh, which is interesting. But you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, the the ones that are talking about it are dual citizens, and they've lived there yeah. on and off for years, so they could do it easily. Right. Is and it's it's something that would be hard for you though, right? I mean, can anyone live there if they just go over there and live there? You know, because you said dual citizens at it easier. I don't know. I don't know what I don't. 
I think I could get dual citizenship, but I would have to, I have to, I think I have to find my grandparents' marriage license, which they ain't no marriage license from back then, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I would love to, I would, I, I could live there easily. Yeah. Now, was it a funny household growing up? Were they, are your folks funny? Yeah. Um, my brother and sister are incredibly funny. My cousins are all funny. So my comedy influences came mostly from my family more than the TV yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, my cousins, you know, there was always laughter. Yeah. Um, on the Greek side, there was, there was always this, you know, a lot of, a lot of jokes. <clears throat> my mom is very funny, not outwardly funny, but she has a really good sense of humor. Yeah. Really good sense of humor. And my father just would laugh at anything because he just loved the he just loved to laugh. Yeah, yeah. But my brother and sister are keenly, keenly funny. And my 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 cousin Nick is kind of in the comedy world. I mean he's a he, he's a cartoonist for the Washington Post and he he does humor as well. Oh, that's great. Yes, yeah, see, you know, like I, I think that happens a lot. I think it's I think usually you, most funny people come from funny people because that's the same thing. My, you know, it was mostly my dad and my aunt were both could have been in comedy if they had hmm. chosen to. Um, my aunt, especially my aunt, and she just she just passed away recently, but she was so funny and so just such a and even as she got older and had Alzheimer's, she still was like, you know, I'd go visit her and every other person in her ward was just miserable and scared and crabby and. She was still just happy and, you know, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's it helps. It helps to be from a family that likes to laugh. Well, it's it, it it's also, you know, humor has been under a microscope lately and, 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 and rightfully so. But, you know, we would communicate through humor, too, meaning not we wouldn't just make jokes. It was also a way of making a point. Even you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in my family, it was very important. Humor was very important in, in just the way we, you know, dealt with each yeah. other as a family. Um, <clears throat> I mean, my father was my father was always kind of more of a disciplinarian with the humor stuff, mm-hmm. which made it much funnier. Right. You kind of need a parent to tell you that's not that's not kosher. Yeah. That makes it funnier. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. You need a straight man. I, yeah, and I have two boys now, which, you know, there's a lot of humor that's going around. And sometimes I think, should I be the disciplinarian here and make the humor more enjoyable for them? Because it's like laughing in church. I don't know if you grew up in a church, but I did. And yeah. that tension not to laugh in church is some of the most euphoric I've ever felt in my life. Yeah, I I just I actually asked that question on Twitter once because I was thinking about at my grandmother's funeral there was a and I think I just talked about this on this podcast. Next to where my grandmother was being laid to rest, there was a f- dual family plot, two families and they were the good family and the eaten family. So it was good eaten was the the big stone as we're standing next to <laughs> my grandma and we everyone just <laughs> Cracked up because good eating 
you know? That's so good. <laughs> and you know, do you remember the manager's name on uh, Spinal Tap? Artie Fufkin? No, no. No, no that was no, Paul Schaefer. That, that, was, that was Paul Schaefer. Yeah. No, I don't. His last, he was Sir Eaton Hogg. All right. <laughs> Sir Eaton Hogg. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, when do you start thinking that you're going to be funny for a living? Or do you get that idea that you would want to do it? Since you, I mean, you weren't, you know, if, as you say, you weren't inspired by the TV. Um, well, no, I wasn't as inspired by the TV. I, I, I mean, I was for sure. I started um, thinking about that very early for some reason. Very, very early. Uh, I knew that entertainment was probably what I wanted to do. But where I was from and back then, there just was no knowledge of how to do it, really. I mean, I, yeah. I I mean, I guess you you know, go to New York, and and my whole thing was I went to New York to try to figure it out. So after college, I left uh, after kind of failing out of college. Uh, by one point, I left and went to. What'd you study? Nuclear physics. <laughs> I was a communications major uh, and a film minor at an agriculture school. Um. So, uh, <laughs> but I have to say, I, I went, I loved my university. I loved my classes there, and especially my film classes were so yeah. good. Because that's, that's when I first learned that there were other movies besides Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> so, uh, but from an early age, I just kind of, my parents also were nurtured, they nurtured it, I think. Uh, there were, yeah. It, and uh, they were very uh, supportive of the whole thing. It wasn't as if I was in school plays or any of that. I just, I just knew that yeah. I could. Eventually, I could figure it out once I left my hometown. Um, and it, you know, it's it it, it takes some some figuring out on how to do it. But uh, yeah, I've been very lucky. Why did Why did you not do school plays? Too small time for you? You were waiting until 
You could land a big fish. Well, they were always musical theater things, which was not, uh, you know, I was never that kind of theater person. I was more of how can I make you laugh? And I, I did enter talent shows. And in the talent shows, I did the robot. <laughs> you know, the. Yeah, Do you yeah, remember dance, Shields and Yarnell? I've talked to them about this before. So they were a big influence. That mime show, they had a they had a mime show, and they did this robotic stuff, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. So I would perform in talent shows in my hometown. I did that stuff. To robots? Do would you dress up as a robot or just and what track would you pick? Like what song would you do the robot to? We basically copied it was me and my friend Jay Dunn. Um, and we just copied the Shields and Yarnell sketches. That's what we did. We just yeah. kind of did whatever they did. Oh, but And I was pretty good at the robot. I, I used to do it at family reunions, and they would throw um, uh, coins at me to get me to stop. <laughs> yeah, you can heat up those coins, too, first, and then you really get them to stop fast. <laughs> Put a big lighter under them. Yeah, if you really want to hurt a child. Then whip them. Oh, man. You can hear the sizzle as it hits them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went to New York to figure it out. Lots of people go to New York to figure things mm. out. And you were one of them. I, I just see you getting off the bus with your big sun hat and your gingham dress and your beard. I think I was wearing my Who Farted t-shirt. And, um, <laughs> you know, just to fit in. Right. <laughs> to the Manhattan elite. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know I know they're into a lot of existential stuff, so I thought I'd wear that. <laughs> I drove up to New York with my cousin Dean. He was going to NYU to study science, and uh, we moved up together. And uh, I'll never forget what he said to me as we were driving over the George Washington Bridge. He, We were driving over, and we got into the city. And he goes, we just locked ourselves into the world's largest prison. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think his attitude about going to New York was different than mine. Uh, yeah, I guess. And he and I lived in he and I lived in the village for a while, and we shared a closet. And um, we lived with a woman who was moved to New York to be a lounge singer. And um, we would do this game. She wasn't that great of a lounge singer. And um, we would do this game where we would listen to her play her music. This is mean. But I was I was young and my cousin Dean and I would have a game to try not to laugh while she would play her music for us. Oh boy. And she would be at the I'm going to Kansas City, baby. I mean, it was, it was music that was not great. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but yeah, I moved to New York in 92, I think. Did you move to New York as an actor already? I, I mean, you were working, right? Yeah, I moved there because uh, we did this dopey show in Chicago called The Real Life Brady Bunch, which is reenactments of Brady Bunch episodes on stage. And then there was a game show that pre preceded it, an audience participation game show that was really fun, too. And that, you know, me because otherwise it was just 22 minutes of people reenacting fucking Brady Bunch, you know, I mean, which was really it's a dumb idea, but it was fucking genius. It was hilarious. It was really, really a really funny show. It timed very well with like this wave of nostalgia over disco, you know, uh, 
So uh, it became a big thing, uh, you know, like we had a story in People magazine while it was still in Chicago. And then Ron Delsner, who's a famous um, uh, uh, concert promoter, uh, booked us into the Village Gate. And we played the Village Gate in New York for about, oh, I don't know. It's, we were probably there about eight months. And then that cast went to L.A. and they had another cast come from Chicago to continue doing it at the Village Gate. So you came as a work, you, you came as a working actor. I did. I did. I don't know that I would have had the nerve or the bravery to go by myself and to go by myself without a paycheck. Because, I mean, we we're I was making, I think, like 600 bucks a week, which isn't like a ton of money, oh, uh, but, but it was enough. I mean, I. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I slept on somebody's futon on their floor the entire time I was there just to, you know, split in like uh, as minimal amount of rent as I could. And I still came home broke. You know, I still like that was still like living in New York soaked up $600 pretty quickly, you know? Um, Yeah. So, but yeah, no, it was, it was (laughs) from that. (laughs) He just made the glug, glug, glug drinking sound. Yeah. Maybe a little, you know, and weed was more expensive in those days when you bought it at the reggae record shop. Yeah. That had four albums. And that was cut with oregano. Um, <laughs> no, it always smelled. They'd sell you these fat little baggies of, of weed that always smelled like uh, laundry detergent. Because I think that that's what they shipped it over oh. from, I'm assuming, Jamaica because they were Jamaican. Uh, like they must have packed it to disguise the smell and laundry detergent. So for many years, I just assumed weed all smelled like soap. But it doesn't. I didn't. I didn't have my. I didn't smoke weed till I was thirty. Wow. Yeah. Why? Were you just like? Were you afraid of drugs or? No. Yeah. I. I mean, look. I was a such a good. I was a very straight laced kid, and um, I just thought, for some reason, in the back of my head, I just thought it would interfere with my personal get up and go ness. Uh, not that I had any mm-hmm. really. But well, you're not wrong. I, I, yeah, and I just think that. My warning to people is, hey, look, I'm all for marijuana. It's great. But what they don't tell you is, hey, you, you can get in the way sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, just wait. I, mm-hmm. Like my kids, I'm going to say, just wait till you're, you know, eight years old. No, um, <laughs> wait till wait till you're wait till you're later, l- later in life. I, for me, that's what I did. And yeah, I never I never did any of that. I just I mean, I was busy drinking a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean that you're right. There is a there is a side of of legalized weed that nobody talks about, which is, yeah, you can. Yeah, it's you know, everyone thinks they act like it's some kind of, you know, like it's some kind of like miracle supplement that will fix everything. No. But like, no, it largely I mean, yes, there are certain things that it does help with. You know, if you have trouble getting to sleep or, you know, if you have nausea, yes, you know. That can help, but mostly it gets you high and it does make it make you lazy. You it know? can. I mean, uh, yeah. that's when when it kind of opened up here. I was like, I moved to Amsterdam all of a sudden, and there's and there's weed around, and now I got you know the the sort of control mechanism that that sort of paced out my weed usage in the old days was access. And when access is gone, then you got to really like start to be like, oh, fuck, now I got to be a grown up about this <laughs> and not just stop in the dispensary every freaking day. Hmm. 
Yeah. But um, so what happened in New York? Did you start doing stand up? I mean, did you think you were going to do stand up or did you think you were going to be an actor or? I was always influenced and loved stand up. I mean, I obviously uh, it was it was in the back of my head, I felt. But I moved to New York to try to be to get, get to, to be a, to be serious and to get into acting. And I went to, you know, I took classes here and there and I even did a a play called The Hot L Baltimore, but don't get excited. It was in the basement of a church. Um, but I tried to surround myself with the acting world, meaning yeah, I got a job at the public theaters and usher just so I could watch plays. I, I did yeah. my own thing. I didn't have any money either to, for classes. And I worked yeah. a lot. I worked at a restaurant uh, called Tequila Willie's where you have to wear a sombrero um, mm. and wait tables on Al Roker. <laughs> I, had, I worked at Casa Lupita. Wait a minute. Look, where where's that? Casa Lupita started in the Northwest. The one I worked at was in Naperville, Illinois, and I had to basically wear like a peasant boy outfit. That was sort of, you know, like like that would like, you know, that you would be in a Disney minus the sombrero and not necessarily like a serape, but definitely like this open necked shirt that had basically just guitar strap embroidery put to it and um <laughs> and i got to sweat like a peasant too uh in that uniform <laughs> my uncle was the manager of this restaurant where i where my dad's brother was the manager of this restaurant in the city and uh he used to throw my tips at me which were never bills they were always it was always change i guess i wasn't that good of a waiter and if you've ever on your hands and knees picking up coins, wearing a sombrero while you're being pelted with coins, it's you feel like you're not really going anywhere in life. And I, that's how I always felt in New York. <laughs> this is not going to work out at all. <laughs> Why did he throw it at you? Because he said that's how he was treated in the fam in the family re restaurant, uh, which is not true. It's not that's not true. He just he just I don't know. Right, right. Well, some people just want to start the cycle of abuse. Maybe. Why not? Let's start it. Let's see what, yeah. where this takes us. But I was living <laughs> in another closet in the shoe district, we call it, 8th Street. Um, do, you, do you know 80 Miles? Oh, yeah. A very funny writer. Yeah. And performer. Yeah. And he ended up being Jimmy Fallon's head writer. Yeah. So Miles and I were roommates. And both of us were going nowhere fast. And how did you guys find each other? We, we knew each other in college. We kind of moved to New York together. Oh. Oh, okay. He and I worked in our own, in a, in a strip joint together, Miles and I, called Stringfellows. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And how, did, how were the tips there? Were they thrown at you or were they just shoved in your waistband? The strippers and I did not get along. Um, uh, I was the bus boy and there was a power structure there. The strippers were... They were in charge, at least behind the scenes. And they were quite mean, a lot of them. But um, yeah, as it should. be. Yeah, a couple of them were nice. But yeah, it was I was I was. I was not going I, that that was a part of my life where I just was really wondering what I was doing, because I think it was 28, you know. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that would be hard. Yeah, but you're living in New York. It doesn't matter. Right. I mean, to me, that's the way I saw it. 
Well, and also too, I think you you realize like eh, twenty eight, twenty three. Eh, it's all you, know, you can. It's like that's you're still finding yeah. yourself. You know, in your 20s, I think. And I was a nanny at that time, too. I was doing all this restaurant work, and I also happened to be a nanny. How did that happen? I knew I was pretty good with kids, and I knew that I could probably adjust my schedule better with auditions um, if I could um, just pick up kids, like work from 3 to 8 at night, then go perform, stand up, and then audition in the morning. Yeah. So it was really good hours for that. But I also was a house cleaner. Oh, I've told you that. Yeah, we talked about that. And I cleaned houses. I had a lot of jobs in New York. Yeah. I worked at Dr. Squeeze. You ever been to Dr. Squeeze on on 23rd Street? I don't know what that is. It's a juice bar. Oh, okay. No. It was my favorite job I've ever had. It's my best job I've ever had, even more than acting. Why? Because you were the only one there. There was no, and all you had to do was <laughs> squeeze juice and oh. you could you'd drink your old juice all day, which I love. But um, yeah, I had a lot of jobs, lots yeah. and lots. Yeah. What did you start? Did you start playing piano while you were on stage immediately, or is that something that kind of developed? Because that was when I first got to know you. That your act was was piano and comedy. So, no, what that kind of happened. Uh, I was doing stand up for a number of years. And then w- when I moved out to California, Largo had a piano. And one night I, I sat at the piano because I can fake that I can play the piano and I can only play sad music. And I thought mm-hmm. the sadness of the music with the uh, ridiculousness of the joke. Um, was kind of new or I, I mean, yeah. you know, there's been piano playing comedians who I didn't know this when I started playing the piano, but um, do you know who uh, Victor Borgia is? Yes. But he did more sort of musical, musical humor though. Yours was just a funny counterpoint, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, so, yeah, I just kind of started, I sat down at the piano and just kind of, did my set, and um, it seemed to add another layer to it that was missing, maybe. Uh, and then I don't, and then now I don't do it anymore. I, I haven't done the piano much at all anymore because it's too limiting. It, you, 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 it's so one note um, that it's hard to do yeah. other things. But um, you can sustain an audience with the piano stuff for about ten minutes before they get bored with it. Oh, uh, you found out. Found out the hard way many times. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done stand-up any time recently? When's the last time you were on stage doing stand-up? Right before the pandemic. Uh, right when they, right when things oh, were. Really? Yeah. And there was a feeling in the audience. This was probably the last show for a while. Uh, I think they had just canceled a bunch of stuff in California. Uh, I have done it online not stand up, but I, I mean, since the pandemic, I've done a, a show or two, but we have a delay in these woods. My I'm used to an audience not responding to my material sometimes, <laughs> but um, on the computer, it has a different. I don't know. It feels it feels more lonely. Yeah, it's weird. I've, I mean, I've watched some stand. I'm not yours in particular because I'm not a fan. I understand, but uh, I've seen other people do comedy online, and it is strange. 
It well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it feels more like a confessional or something. There's no other art form, if that's what stand up is, which is questionable, um, that you need feedback. You need feedback. And there are shows yeah. that you don't hear the feedback because they've cut off the whoever's watching's uh, audio. So you're doing it to the ether, hoping yeah. it's landing in someone's living room, you know, 2,000 miles away. But I think I think once everything um, clears up, hopefully there's going to be a real, like, burst of wonderful performing from music, from from comedy. I think there's going to be a, hopefully there's going to be a real a, a resurgence of it all. I think so too. And, I, and one thing I also think is like, you've seen a lot of people doing stuff online who probably normally wouldn't have done stuff online, you know, just like, oh shit, yeah, I'll do, you know, I'll be on the computer for a half an hour for this reunion or whatever. And and I think it's going to make people a lot. It's just going to kind of like lower the preciousness of a lot of people's self identity. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna be like, yeah, I can do that, and I can do this, and for Christ's sake, I've been cooped up for how long? And you know, and and I, I agree with you. I think it's. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to get back to my human pyramid stuff. That I've been, you know, I, I'm big in the human pyramid uh, world. And we have all been just shut sure. down. Right, right. Yeah. And I also sold all of my hand sanitizer stock back in Febu- last February. Because uh, who, who thought you'd need it? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I- <laughs> Goodbye, Purell. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, now, was there something that predicated your move to L.A.? I got a, one of those development deals. Oh, you did? Uh, so I could... I could stop working as a, you know, busboy and all that stuff. So I loaded up a van uh, and two friends and we drove to Los Angeles and the the money I was promised didn't show up for a while. So I, w- I had to live in my car. I lived in the van for a while yeah. and I lived at the Hollywood Youth Hostel for, a, for about a week. Have you ever been there? Mm-mm. No. If you like German tourists in their briefs. Uh, singing REO Speedwagon songs at the top of their lungs. It's your it's a place for you. German guys with briefs oh and dark socks on. Um, but oh my god, that's my that's my fucking you porn search. German youth REO Speedwagon. I talked to mechanic because the van I couldn't rent the van anymore because I didn't have the money. And I talked a mechanic into, 
I didn't talk him into it. Someone told me a mechanic friend of his would rent me the car, a car he was supposed to be working on. So imagine you send your car to a mechanic to get fixed. For, he's like, it's going to take four days. And he rents your car out to a stranger. That's what. <laughs> so to live I in lived in that too. car for just, I lived in that car for a few nights, I remember. And then I got lucky. I found a, a place in Santa Monica. Yeah. But, but it was, um, yeah, I just moved out because I had a job. I kind of had a job. Uh, prospect, and I ended up yeah. being on a sitcom out there. Did you like uh, the move from New York to LA? Man, when I first got to Los Angeles, I absolutely loved it. I loved yeah. it so much. What was it that like? The weather was fantastic. I would go swimming in the ocean all all the time because I lived by the beach. I you know I, I would just love yeah. the weather. I would, and I didn't know anybody. So I also would bike all the time. This is, you know, 40 pounds ago. And um, since I didn't know anybody in California, I felt completely comfortable in being in my Speedos and just biking with nothing but Speedos on. Yeah. That's the cool thing about moving to a new place. You don't know. You're like, okay, I can be as free as I want to be. Right, right. Everyone will think I'm a German tourist. <laughs> um, but uh, – I liked it a lot. And then and then I think the city got our cities in general started wearing on me and because I was raised in a small town and I, I, I started missing that a lot. But L.A.'s magical when you first move there. Yeah. Well, so you had I mean, you had some success before, you know, like the sort of catapult of the hangover hit. And was that transition? Because you're not, you know, you're you're. A kind, hilarious person, but you're not, you know, you're a little shy, I would say, don't you think? The text I sent you, Andy, was not kind, hilarious. It was kind, hilarious, handsome person is what you were supposed to say. Oh, I was saving that for the end for the, that was going to be the big button. Um, what was your question? I'm sorry. What, what did you say? You are. You're very <laughs> handsome. Um, I mean, was it, was that transition was, was when, <laughs> when, when you got real famous, was that fucking awkward and weird? And did you, did you kind of, was there a part of you that hated it? I was real bad with it. I I, I got scared by it I, and it angered me because I think when we get scared as humans, it angers us. And listen, it was, for me, it was, that stuff came later in life. And if I were in my twenties, maybe it would have been more, yeah, let's party. But I was kind of a. You know, yeah. I was kind of new myself and new, you know, I kind of always have had this um, eye on show business and Hollywood in general. It's, hmm, yeah, it's fun to work in, but as a unit, I'm not really into it. I, You know, I, I've always been that way about yeah. it. I just have never, the small town has really never left me, really. I mean, it just, yeah, I'll, obviously. <laughs> no, I I know what you mean, because it is like, I'm happy to get a check from from show business but i don't want to live in show business and there are people that like come out here and they want to do the whole fucking thing they want to live in it 24 hours a day and i mean i feel like holden caulfield (laughs) i'm so glad i got that reference i just feel like everyone's a fucking phony you know well listen (laughs) it's 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 a it's i mean i think steve martin called it a high school Years ago, and it is kind of that. Yes, yeah. 
you know, I, I, I love actors. I really, I really do. I love comics. I really love comics. Um, but Hollywood as a, as a, as a whole is, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. And I, and, and by the way, I've always made fun of it. I've all, I mean, since when yeah. we were kids growing up, we would make fun of it. Yeah. How, how many people listen to this podcast, Andy? I don't know. I don't know. People, they tell me, I, I ask and they go, well, it's, it does really pretty well, you know? And I'm like, but it's always at that kind of like raising intonation, which always feels like, mm, okay, I guess, you know, <laughs> I love that, 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 inf- that voice pitch. Cause you're right. That's what people do when they are not real sure <laughs> what they're supposed to say to you. No, I thought you were funny. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really oh, great. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, sure, I'll marry you. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, well, um, were you married when when the hangover happened? Like, had you? Oh, uh, mm, no, 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 no. Or were you together? Yeah, yeah. I would, I've been, my wife and I dated, uh, yeah, for a long time. And then she was, during the hangover stuff, she was all part of, the, yeah. with me in that. That that was weird, too, though, the, the relationship. I mean, I won't go into it, but it's, you know, it, it, it sounds complaining, and it isn't. But for all those uh, those uh, people out there that want the fame thing, uh, it, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, there's a lot of uh, the other side that nobody likes to talk about, but... It's a, it's, yeah, that was a change. It was just a change in your life that, you know, you don't expect, especially wasn't really kind of part of the plan. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's there. And and you can't really talk about it much publicly because you do sound like such a entitled baby where you're like, when I go to a restaurant, people talk to me, you know, by the way, I love when people talk. To me, I love it. I love interaction yeah. with people. What I don't like is, can I get a picture? Because they're not interested in anything except yeah. that social media thing. And, yeah. and but I would rather talk to someone for a long time. And 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 I find people are not really into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a very small town thing of you too, though. I mean, that's you know, like the small townness of. You know, like I've known people who grew up in small towns who still do the same thing that like my uncle would do is, which is like when you sit down at dinner, like you'd say hello to the next table and how, you know, what did you get there? And uh, where are y'all from? And, you know, that's the kind of town I grew up in. Yeah. 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 Oh, we would walk into a restaurant and we knew everybody there. I like that. I guess I like it now that I'm older. But yeah. Yeah. Has has fatherhood changed you very much? Oh my God, a hundred percent. In what ways do you think? Well, I get up at five every morning. That never used to happen. Um, to me, if you're lucky enough to have kids, one of the benefits is you get to relive your own childhood in a way because you get to see the eyes of your children, experience the world, and that to me is just yeah. There's nothing better, and I find men don't talk about it much. And I, I, if there are any young men out there, you've been marketed mm-hmm. to young men that you're supposed to act like you d- guys do in beer commercials. But fatherhood and being that in that world yeah. to me is the greatest thing of my life. It just is. I, my, I, yeah. I, my dad was a really good dad, I think, and I, and I learned from him. Not that I'm a good 
necessarily that, but um, it changed. It just did. It, it, it. I cry a lot more. I'm more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because of lack of sleep. My my. I'll tell you. My my youngest son. I was tucking him in the other night, and I don't think he really knows what I do for a living. But anyway, we're in bed and we're cuddling. He's four. And he goes, hey, dad. He's a weird accent. He goes, hey, dad, have you ever met Hitler in a movie? Like, have I ever met Hitler in a movie? Um, no. And he goes, he's a pretty weird guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so those, those kind of conversations to me are, I mean, I just love it. I just do. I, I'm, I'm amazed how funny yeah. kids can be. And I mean, look, as a comic, I also learn a lot from kids. I think yeah. I think my humor was probably because I see one of my kids do it now. He'll say something very straight, but he knows he's getting a re- he knows he's getting a reaction because he's saying it straight. And that to me is really interesting to yeah, watch. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I just always like. I'm a family man. I'm a family man. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm the same way. I always kind of felt like, especially in the work that we do, the silliness of it, the silliness of it becomes, and and it's a, it's a really silly business that yeah, there's you know lots of money involved, but. Ultimately, it's pretty silly. And, you know, if like an alien force were to land and decide who were essential and non-essential personnel, I think we would be vaporized, you know, like they're going to look people for people who can build bridges and, you know, I don't know, grow food underwater or something, not right. fucking wisecrackers. <laughs> but uh, I, I always I always loved that my kids like when my kids showed up. Um, which by the way, we didn't, we didn't have them. They just show, just like a cat that walked in the back door one day and you put yeah. a bowl of food down and then it's like, Oh, I got a son, I guess. It's more convenient that way. Yeah, oh, it's great. They make things, uh, they really make what's important, important. They really show you like, Oh, that, you know, all that, sh- this, the, like the amount of time that you've had to spend working in show business, worrying about something that's just stupid. And then, and you, but when you don't have anything to balance it against, you think, this, no, this is important because look, there's all these people that care. And then you have a kid and it's like, oh, no, no, that doesn't matter at all. You just kind of act like it matters and then go home. And I, I always, on, on sets at four in the morning after we've done 15 hours of improv, I'm like, does anybody want to go home to their yeah. families? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, I, I, show business also has a lot of young people that are working, younger people. So family yeah. life is family life in show business is 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 tough because of the hours. Yeah, yeah. But as you learn a lot as a comic from uh, from paying attention to uh, to younger people. Um, so yeah, the kids are very. I, I selfishly, I get, I get, uh, I get to watch them and and be inspired by them to for humor in a weird way. Yeah. If you could go back and talk to Zach when he sh- when he showed up with his cousin in New York City 
and tell him something that like you feel would be useful uh, to him, what do you think it would be? Don't get headshots. <laughs> Don't get headshots. That's it. Well, there was such back then there was such an onus on getting your headshot like that was you're going to be your your calling card. Well, not for somebody like me, and that wasn't yeah, my yeah. calling card. Uh, but, but no, in, in serious, <laughs> if, if 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 I've never thought about that, what I would say to a younger me, God, I don't know. That's a good question. Oh, probably you're never going to get taller. <laughs> Maybe I'll say this: that younger version of me, I would say, "Hey, you may not feel that this will ever happen, but you're getting ready. To, you're going to gain about fifty-five pounds in two years." <laughs> um. So watch out. <laughs> yeah. What would you say? To Zach or to me? No, to you. To to Zach, I would say, grow that beard as quickly as you can. Um, <laughs> I've always had uh, it. Without it, you're nothing. Um, for me, uh, well, I was asked that question. Uh, I did a live version of this podcast with Rachel Dratch in San Francisco mm. at the Sketch Fest. And somebody in the audience asked, like, what advice would you give your younger self? And I thought about it and I was like, honestly, learn to like cardio. Just I, I, that would be the main thing I would tell myself, like, learn to like cardio. I don't care. Because it's yeah. <laughs> when you're 50 and you get on the fucking machine and you're still going, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. It's it's not good. It's not good. It's you know. Do you do you get on a machine and do that? I do. I do elliptical. Jeez. Not as much as I should. Do you do car? What's your what's your workout regimen now up there in the wood? You just go toss logs around. I garden in the winter. I've been I've been chopping a lot of wood. Um. Yeah. Beating up my children. Um, <laughs> yeah. My 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 kid, my four year old keeps telling me that he can't wait. This is almost a quote. I can't wait till I'm bigger so I can pummel you in the front yard. <laughs> he's 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 very uh, physical. Nothing like raising bullies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing like raising bullies. Uh. Man, so many dividends. <laughs> well, Zach, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I thought we had a couple more hours. No, no, no. This hmm. is this is this is not that kind of podcast. I have to tell you, it's just nice talking to an adult. I agree. I know you're kind of making a quip there, but uh, honestly, this podcast sustained me through a lot of this, you know, just that I could get on the computer and talk to somebody. And that would be it for the day sometimes, you know, like depending on my schedule with my kids, that would be, it'd be like, well, I talked to someone, you know, and then went back to my, back to my knitting. Yeah. It's, I think people are really missing people. When I, when I go grocery store, when I go to the store, I can tell people are really, yearning for connection. I, I feel it. I, yeah. I feel it. And I, I find that people are being kind of friendly about it too, because of this. And it, it, look, when they legalize hugging again, I, I just, uh, <laughs> I really am looking forward to it. Yep. You're just going to become insufferable. People are going to be like, get off of me. I think I'm going to open it. I, I was thinking about opening a kissing booth during COVID. <laughs> yeah 
You could just like, well, you could have a sheet of plastic in between you. Odd times, odd times. Well, Zach, thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you in real life. Andy, thanks for asking me to be on. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not that exciting, but stop it. Whatever. You, you can are, edit it. You are uh, one of my favorite people. You are a lovely, kind, uh, hilarious person. So, um, and I'm sorry again that I didn't do it shirtless like you had asked me to do. Well, it's all right. It's all right. I, you know, I'm I'm bottomless. I have a tattoo that I cannot show anybody. Right. I know. I know. That stuff, that stuff is not, it's not ironic fun anymore. When I tattooed Proud Boys on my chest, that was in the <laughs> late 90s. <laughs> it was the name of my cleaning company. And it was a singing group. I, <laughs> it was an acapella cleaning company that I was part of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll sing your apartment clean. We're the proud boys. Well, it was a good run, our country. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. Yeah, we had a good. We had a good time. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm coming. I'm coming to the woods to live with you. Get up here. Just don't just change your license plates. <laughs> all right. I love you, Zach. And uh, I will talk to you later. And thank you all for listening. And we will be back at you next week. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blayert, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my loves are growing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.